1: Good morning. Welcome to News Radio 1510 WLAC, the conservative law and politics show, where every week we discuss legal and political issues from a conservative perspective. I'm your host, Lee Dreyer, and this morning we'll be discussing the attempted conquest of the West by radical Islam. And when I say the West, I'm, of course, including the United States of America. And back with us this morning to discuss this critical issue is our frequent guest, Mr. Selwyn Duke. As I've mentioned numerous times, Selwyn is a journalist and political commentator, And to be exposed to his cutting-edge conservative ideas, you only need Google his name, Selwyn Duke, of course, and you will be blessed with a treasure trove of very valuable conservative insights. In any event, Selwyn, a very good morning to you. Welcome back, sir.
2: Thank you, Lee, and good morning to you.
1: Selwyn, uh, before we get started, I want to make clear that I have absolutely no wish to attack Muslims or their faith, but... What I would like to discuss this morning is the political ideology that seems to advocate the overthrow of Western democracies, including the one that exists right here in the United States of America. So let's start off with what I think Western governments are ignoring. Um, There's a lot of talk uh, among Middle Eastern media outlets about the colonization of the West by Islam. Could you tell us about that, please?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lee, as we all know, during recent years, we've seen these mass migrations of Muslims from the Middle East into the West. And we understand that Arab media actually talk about this. And one of the things they're very happy about is that they're saying, this is great. At the same time now, we can conquer the West for Islam. So as one of our sources tells us, it's not even a secret. And, you know, I'm just throwing this out there now, Lee, but This occurs to me that maybe this is one reason why these rich Arab nations, such as Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, Oman, so on and so forth, don't actually take in these migrants who are their co religionists. Maybe it's because they'd much rather see them in the West. But (laughs) we see this mentality reflected in so many ways. For instance, there was this Muslim migrant, this story was in the media a couple of years ago, who said that this was his goal in coming to the West. He said, quote, I swear by Allah, I only came here for this one goal, unquote. And we're not saying that all the Muslims who are migrating to the West have this mentality, mind you. But the point is, is that it does exist. Where does it come from? Well, we understand that the Quran actually says, quote, and whoever emigrates for the cause of Allah will find on the earth many locations and abundance. And we also see this in recent calls by certain Muslim leaders. For instance, in 2015, there was an imam named Sheikh Mohammed Aid. He told Muslim migrants to, quote, breed children with Europeans to conquer their countries. And he vowed, we will trample them underfoot, Allah willing. And more recently, we've seen a similar call from the leader of Turkey, Erdogan. He was telling Muslims in Europe, have five children each. That was his call.
1: Hmm. All right. Now, this whole idea of uh, colonization by radical Islam that everybody in the Middle East seems to know about has been largely ignored by mainstream media outlets in the West. Why, Why do you think that is?
2: Well, there are multiple reasons, Lee. One is just bad old political correctness part of which is trying to protect this multiculturalist model. The media knows that if the truth gets out there about these migrations and the effect of many types of immigration in general, that people may no longer be so enamored of it. They might just say, hey, maybe it's a good idea to halt this immigration for a while. Then you have another factor, ignorance, projection. People tend to project their own mindset, feelings, priorities onto others, and Westerners do this, and to most Westerners, the kind of mindset that we're talking about is completely alien. They just don't think that way. And then you have the power principle. You've got the fact that, as I've said before, 85% of our immigrants nowadays come from the third world. Upon being naturalized, 70 to 90% of them vote for Democrats. The mainstream media, which is left-wing, is well aware of that, and they don't want to stop the importation of their voters.
1: Now, this kind of concept that you just mentioned, it works the same way in Europe, does it not? I mean, when when Europe brings in people from the Middle East, they typically tend to vote for socialist and leftist candidates, correct?
2: Oh, let me tell you, Lee. I read a statistic out of France that 90 percent of the Muslims there vote for the socialists. So that tells you – how warped the whole thing is, how steeply, how strongly they support uh, socialists, yes.
1: Okay, I want to talk about what I'll call the Trump response. Uh, President Trump's issued two new executive orders, actually two two executive orders, uh, that ban certain travel from certain Middle Eastern countries. Uh, One was declared unconstitutional by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the other is now working its way through the federal court system. And many on the left have claimed that these two executive orders are un-American. So how do you respond to those critics?
2: Well, just by saying that they're either ignorant or they're dishonest or both, because the bottom line is that this is a power that has been exercised by American presidents all throughout history. When World War II began, we had Franklin Delano Roosevelt, an icon of the left, who suspended the naturalization proceedings for Italian, German, and Japanese immigrants, And he required them to register. He restricted their mobility. He prohibited them from owning items that might be used for sabotage. And this was part of a presidential proclamation, 2525. But you can move on in history. In 1950, they banned communists from coming to the U.S. In 1952, there was a law that states, this has been cited a lot in the media recently, that the president has the power to suspend the immigration of any immigrants or class of immigrants if he deems that it's necessary for the national security of the nation. In 1980, Jimmy Carter banned Iranians from coming here. In 1987, people who were HIV positive, who had AIDS, were banned from coming here. And in 2011, Barack Obama suspended the Iraqi refugee program. So this is a power that presidents have The courts that have said otherwise in the case of Trump are only doing it for ideological reasons. They're imposing their own biases from the bench, and it is nothing less than a judicial coup.
1: Mm. Okay, now wait a second, Selwyn. The all-wise and all-knowing New York Times claims that these latest executive orders will, quote, cause immediate collateral damage imposed on people who, by all accounts, had no sinister intent in coming to the United States. Selwyn, How do you argue with the high and mighty New York Times?
2: Yeah, well, I think that there's no way you can remain sane and not argue with the New York slimes. But (laughs) anyways, the point is we've heard this argument a lot recently. Go ahead. (laughs) Did I mispronounce it? Did I call them by the way? Yeah,
1: maybe. What do you think?
2: (laughs) I think it was a slip of the tongue.
1: Freudian slip. Go ahead.
2: (laughs) But we hear this a lot lately. Well, it's going to cause damage. It's going to cause harm. You point to me one policy that could possibly be adopted by a president, by a politician, that would not harm someone, that would not harm some innocent people. There is no such policy. Look, let's say that the government comes to suspect that foreign beef might be contaminated, just might be, so it suspends the importation of foreign beef. Well, that's going to hurt U.S. businesses.
1: Which they did, by the way.
2: Yeah, that's why it occurred to me. That's going to hurt U.S. businesses that use beef in their product. So again, there's no such policy as one that doesn't hurt anyone.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. All right, Selwyn. What about our humanitarian obligation to the people of Syria who, who may have lost their homes or their loved ones to the war there?
2: Right. Well, first we have to ask what is our humanitarian obligation to American citizens who we might be endangering, but. We have to Oh, come,
1: come now. You're not saying put America first, are you?
2: Yeah, oh, look at that now. Terrible. I wouldn't <laughs> want to do that. That's not politically <laughs> correct, Selwyn. Yeah, no, it's not. You know how politically correct I am. Yeah, me too. But the bottom line is, if people truly are in danger of being exterminated, we should try to help them. But we have to understand what the spirit of a refugee program is. You grant people safe haven as close to their native countries as possible. That's the way it's supposed to be done. These people, in many, many cases, are safe in camps, refugee camps, in Turkey, in Jordan, places like that. They could be given safe haven, by the way, by those rich Arab countries I mentioned earlier, Saudi Arabia, Oman. The idea that we're going to ship them thousands of miles into Europe, into the heart of Christendom, is absolutely insane. There's no reason for it whatsoever unless behind it are some malevolent intentions like some kind of demographic conquest, like left wing politicians importing voters.
1: Mm, okay. Well, I think on that note, Selwyn, we're going to have to go to break. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what Muslims are actually saying about the planned conquest of the West. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lee Dreyer, and you've been listening to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Welcome back to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host, Lee Dreyer, and this morning we're talking about the planned conquest of the West by radical Islam. But before we get back to our guests, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to mention that this show is the exclusive production of the Conservative Law and Politics Media Group, who is solely responsible for its content. The assertions and opinions expressed in the show are those of the participants and not those of WLAC or I Media. And speaking of the show, for those of you who have questions about the program, you want to suggest show topics or you're having a legal problem and you need some free, once again, free legal advice, or perhaps you'd like to advertise on the show, please go to my website, com, Hit the Contact Us button and send us an email. You can also give us a call at area code 615 576 0755. Or you can send good old-fashioned U.S. mail to Lee Dreyer in care of the conservative law and politics show at 4. Hey, guys, it is
0: Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Or 26th
1: Century Court, Franklin, Tennessee. 37064. Either way, rest assured, if you contact me, I will respond. Selwyn, <clears throat> we are back. Now, what frankly amazes me about the situation is that Muslim voices are actually telling us to beware of so-called refugees from the Middle East. And I want to talk about a few of those voices. So, first of all, tell us who Elias Bou Sa'ab is.
2: Okay. Well, Elias Bou Sa'ab was the Lebanese education minister, and he's also the founder of the American University in Dubai. He's helped fund television stations, radio stations— which broadcast the free patriotic movement. So he's certainly someone who might be on the right side of some issues.
1: Okay. Now, what did he have to say about the people in refugee camps in Lebanon right now?
2: Okay. Well, again, this man was an official in Lebanon, and he warned in 2015 that 20,000 jihadis, 20,000, likely lurk in his country as refugee camps. And furthermore, Lee, he said that, there was a covert jihadi operation to get across the Mediterranean and into Europe. And by the way, we've heard this from other Muslim figures as well. For instance, there was the Syrian ambassador, Riyad Abbas. He said that 20% of Muslim migrants entering Europe had Islamic State ties. So this is a very serious situation indeed.
1: So one out of five?
2: Yeah, if he's correct in his estimate, yes.
1: Wow, and this and this isn't exactly an Islamophobe, right? This is a person who is a member of the Muslim faith, correct?
2: Yeah, as far as we know, I doubt they're Christians. I mean, we're talking about officials in Syria and in Lebanon, so I'm sure we're talking about Muslims here.
1: <laughs> okay, as as we mentioned earlier, Selwyn, it, it's no secret to people of the Middle East what's going on, and and I have a snippet of an interview that you posted on uh, one of your online pieces that I think illustrates the point. But before we play the clip, please introduce us to Dr. Mudar Zahran. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Who is he?
2: Well, Dr. Mudar Zahran, but you don't have to say it like that, (laughs) is a very interesting fellow. He's a jordanian palestinian academic and he's also a leader of the jordanian opposition coalition he's currently living in the united kingdom he sought political asylum there so he's a real refugee and also we have to remember he describes himself as an orthodox muslim Okay. nonetheless he says there's a genuine problem with muslims in europe quote unquote that's a direct quotation and he calls the current wave of migrants entering the continent, quote, the soft Islamic conquest of the West.
1: Now, I believe – I actually got this clip from one, of your, uh, from one of your articles. I stole it. So what was the name – was the title of the article that you posted this in? I want, I want people to be able to go
2: to it. Oh, let's see. Well, you're putting me on the spot here. It's something to the effect of – Muslim migrant warns of the soft Islamic conquest of the West.
1: Now, put in Selwyn Duke and read all of his articles, and you, you're bound to bound to come across that one. You That's what I said
2: You'll come across it for sure. Just read every single one. <laughs> there are only a few thousand, so it shouldn't actually, take more than a few years.
1: Actually, I don't think I've read every single one, even every single one you've written since I've known you. Uh, I've read a lot, but not every single
2: one. Anyway. I'm hurt, Lee. I'm hurt. Now <laughs> I
1: know you're hurt. I'm sorry. You'll get over it. <laughs> Anyway, R.J., see. if you could play the clip for us, please. Ladies and gentlemen, my producer, Mr. R.J. Hunter.
3: I am a Muslim in Europe. You know, I am no, no one can call me a racist. No one can call me an Islamophobe. I am a practicing Muslim in Europe. But we do have a genuine problem with Muslims in, in, in Europe is the fact that they don't seem, in most cases, they don't seem to fully integrate in the country. Not to mention the cases where there are people who actually want to turn Europe into a Muslim state in 30 or 40 or 50 years through producing children and depending on welfare through the children. In short, I think there is a very major problem to Europe's identity. I'm not talking about religion. You know, you can be a good European citizen and you can have any religion. For example, the Jews in this continent. The Jews, they have a different religion than the rest of the continent. But they are, you know, they're not forcing their their culture and religion on anyone else. What we see with many Muslims in Europe, about people marching in London, Berlin, and elsewhere, demanding Sharia law. Um, I think we're looking at major, major problem. I think if this is also, you know, (laughs) expanded to the United States, accepting refugees, I think this is the soft uh, Islamic conquest of the West. Basically, basically what, we, what what, the Islamic, uh, and again, I'm an orthodox Muslim, what the Islamic dreams of fascism of some, some Islamofascists, you know, what we couldn't do in the last, say, 20 years, now the West is doing it for us for free and even paying for it.
1: Hmm. All right. Now, Dr. Sovran describes this uh, mass migration as the soft Islamic conquest of the West. Uh, so, what do you have to say about that?
2: Yeah, well, it's very interesting. What we always have to remember, Lee, is that anytime we're talking about immigration, it's always the same question. Immigration is always the question of what kind of a nation do you want to be? Because immigration is going to affect you one way or the other. For instance, let's analogize it. If you replaced Southerners with Northerners, which does happen in certain cases with Northerners moving into North Carolina and whatnot – well, what's going to happen? You're no longer going to have southern-style state governments. You're going to have northern-style state governments.
1: Ooh, now. ow, ouch, don't say <laughs> that.
2: You're going to have someone like our Governor Cuomo telling you that— Oh, no,
1: no, 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 Su- someone don't Please don't say that. You're going to make me suicidal. Don't do it. I
2: know you're going to need to save space. <laughs> hmm. But you're going to have someone like Governor Cuomo telling you that if you're a traditional conservative, you have no place in the state. now. Obviously, this this phenomenon is not just confined to northerners. If you replaced Americans with Mexicans, you wouldn't have Western civilization anymore. You'd have Mexico Norte. If you replaced Americans with Iranians...
1: By the way, ladies and gentlemen, forgive me for interrupting, but Norte is North in Spanish. Go ahead.
2: Okay. A little Spanish lingo there. Mm -hmm. If you replaced Americans with Iranians, you'd no longer have Western civilization. You'd have Iran West. Now, again, as immigration changes your society, you might say it's a good thing. You might say it's a bad thing. If you're a liberal, you're going to say you're strengthened by diversity. If you're not a liberal, you might say, well, unity might be a better thing. United we stand, divided we fall. But the bottom line is, is that immigration, especially if it's massive immigration, will change you. And that's something you have to understand. So you have to understand the kind of people you're letting in your country and what effect they're going to have. And once again, Most of our new immigrants for decades now have been voting Democrat for liberal Democrats upon being naturalized.
1: Now, Selwyn, the other thing he said that I thought was striking in that interview was that uh, basically we're paying for this conquest. Is this kind of like giving guns and bullets to our enemies?
2: Yeah, well, you could say that. It's guns or butter, I guess, and we're giving butter. I mean, we've got these generous welfare states In Germany, for instance, in Sweden, to an extent. I don't know. It's pretty
1: generous here, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I mean in Sweden and Germany, it's just over the top. And as you know, illegal aliens in certain cases even have – been able to avail themselves of benefits, government benefits. So that's what Zahran was referring to. He was saying, well, you have these people coming in and you're giving them apartments in certain cases and other benefits, and they don't necessarily want to become good citizens of your nation, good Germans, good Swedes, good Americans. It's simply like if you put out food for a cat, that cat's going to keep on coming back. You know, You're luring these people with goodies. That's what you're doing.
1: Now, obviously, we can't play the whole 14-minute interview from Dr. Sauron, but I encourage everyone to find it online. Uh, Now, he kind of indicated later on in the interview that the Islamic conquest or the intended Islamic conquest of the West was an open secret in the Middle East. And we touched on this earlier. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I mean, that's what he was saying. He was saying – look, if you read Arab newspapers and magazines, they're saying, hey, this is great. We can conquer the West as well. And remember, Zahran obviously reads and speaks Arabic, so he's a firsthand source here. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with that.
1: All right, now, when people like Dr. Zahran, and again, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, say soft conquest, I think they mean to say largely nonviolent conquest Yet I believe Fox News reported some time ago that there are over 30 Islamic terrorist training camps right here in the United States. Now, assuming that report was accurate, how does that bode for the whole idea that the attempted Islamic conquest of the West will be nonviolent?
2: Yeah, well, there really are two aspects to this, Lee. You've got, one, just the migrations, which can cause demographic change. And that is something in Islam we understand that's called the Hijra, the migration. And then, of course, within that context, you've got the fact that some violent people or people who will become violent are getting in. Most Muslims, of course, are not going to commit these violent acts, but you don't need a very high percentage who are willing to do so to cause a lot of problems. And then you have a higher percentage of Muslims who will aid and abet them because that's just human nature. I mean, the bottom line is that you're, again... Letting people in who don't necessarily want to assimilate into your nation. They're bringing their culture, their ideas with them. They're setting up shop now in their new land. And that can be a real problem. And yes, it's also a strength in numbers game. Initially, of course, you may just have a little violence. Over time, though, as the numbers grow of the kind of people we're talking about who don't want to assimilate, who are interested in Islamic conquest, as their numbers grow, you will see more and more violence as they become more and more powerful. Okay.
1: Well, I think on that note, we're going to have to go to break. But, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, we're going to talk about... Judy was boring.
0: Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
2: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: About whether vetting of refugees will actually work. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lee Dreyer, and you've been listening to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Welcome back to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host, Lee Dreyer, and this morning we're talking about the planned conquest of the West by radical Islam. But before we get back to our guest, I'd like to once again mention that this show is the exclusive production of the Conservative Law and Politics Media Group, who is solely responsible for its content the assertions and opinions expressed in the show are those of the participants and not those of WLAC or iHeartMedia. So Selwyn, we're back. I think um, we've talked about vetting before. The Trump administration, I think, has used the words extreme vetting. So what about vetting these refugees? Isn't there some uh, practical method that we can use to to vet refugees from war-torn countries like Syria?
2: Well, there because the problem with countries such as Syria, the Sudan, for instance, Afghanistan, is that they do not have comprehensive Western-style databases that contain information on the citizenry. So you can't rely on what these databases might say. They may not have information at all on a given citizen. So you cannot obtain the information necessary to do the vetting in the first place, and this is something that is not pointed out by the media. It wasn't pointed out all those years when the Barack Obama administration was talking about, "Oh, these people are vetted thoroughly." No, that was a bold-faced lie. There was simply no, oh, no way
1: that that was No, 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 no. If, now you can't impossible. mean it. The Obama administration saying something that wasn't untrue. No, no, no. no so I know it's hard to believe. Please, please don't tell trying, me. Say it ain't I'm so. I'm not
2: trying to impugn the man's character. I'm only saying that he only lied when his lips were moving, not all the time.
1: Mm, Okay. So really no way to work?
2: Yeah. Well, I don't see how because, again, we're talking about relatively primitive countries where you cannot obtain the information necessary to do the vetting. You have a guy come to you. How do you find out who he really is? You have no way of knowing. You can't go to a governmental database and find out. It's not like the United States. And this is another situation where we have to be careful not to project our own ideas and expectations for norms onto other nations. Yeah, in the United States, we take these things for granted. But in other nations, no, these things are not norms at all.
1: Well, and the other thing that concerns me about this, and I think you've talked about it in some of your works, uh, you can go in a lot of third world countries, probably Syria is one of them, You can go to a government agency and pay for a document to say you're whoever you say you want to
2: be, right? Right, right. Well, absolutely. And there was a fellow who pointed that out who was a Syrian community leader in New York City. His name is Arafat Ralph Sukkar. He pointed out, he said, are you crazy? He said, listen, you can go to a government official in Syria, you give him money, and then you get official government documents stating you're whoever you want to be. If you want, they can say that you're Joe Banana. And these are not forged documents. These are official government documents. So if our officials look at them, they all just say, well, yeah, this is who the person is. They have no way of knowing that the whole thing is a con, that the whole thing is a ruse. And again, this is where projection hurts us. We have to remember that the United States, yes, we have some corruption. No country is perfect. But by and large, we're governed by the rule of law still. At least Uh little people are. And Mr. Sukar, the
1: gentleman you mentioned a few seconds ago, he is in fact a Muslim, correct?
2: He's a Muslim. He's a Muslim. But he was saying, listen, this is how it works. And again, we have to remember that if you're talking about third world uh, nations, corruption is rife bribery is how things are gotten done i mean i understand i learned years ago that in mexico you can buy your way out of a fatal hit and run for four hundred and fifty dollars when i was in india many years ago indians told me that even if you wanted just a driver's license you had to pay bribes so we have to understand that when it comes to vetting these people all bets are off we can't obtain the necessary information they could have bribed their way into getting documents false government documents I mean, the whole thing is just ridiculous from the get-go.
1: Mm. Okay. Well, I'd like to talk about another concept that I think gets in the way of proper vetting, the the concept called takia, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. What is it, Selwyn?
2: Okay. Well, takia is a kind of... Sanctioned lying, religiously sanctioned lying. And according to Dr. Sami Mukaram, he's an Islamic studies professor. He specializes in taqiyya, I understand. And he's also the author of the only academic book exclusively devoted to it. He said, quote, taqiyya, in order to deceive the enemy, is permissible. So again, it's religiously sanctioned lying.
1: Mm, Okay. So if if I'm a uh, jihadist and I'm bent on destruction of the West— and I believe that my destruction of the West is religiously sanctioned, and I go tell them a lie, I tell them somebody else, I tell them I'm a Christian, I tell them something, I tell them I want to assimilate, I want to be an American, whatever the case may be, you're certainly not able to take that at face value. So do you think there's really any way when, when you have that kind of uh, philosophy behind an invasion that you, there's any way to screen out people who are legitimate refugees who just want to come to America for freedom, Selwyn?
2: Well, I think we have to be clear here, Lee. It's not like human beings aren't known for lying. The fact is people do it a lot. And regardless, we would see a lot of lying in these situations. But it's also true that if it's religiously sanctioned, it takes it to another level. Because in our Christian tradition, we're taught, thou shalt not bear false witness. And we just believe that lying is a bad thing. And, of course, if we were in Germany in 1942 and we were sheltering some Jewish person and the Nazis came by looking for him, well, we wouldn't tell them the truth in that situation. But nonetheless, we do not think that lying is ever a good thing. But under Takiyah, as I understand it, Muslims can be taught that if you lie for the glory of Allah, it is actually a very, very good thing. So, of course... This does make it all the more difficult to vet these people, and I'm sure the Islamic state types would be lying regardless, but now when they do it, we know that they have a religious sanction as well.
1: Okay. Now, speaking of religion, you and I are both Christians, and we've discussed the persecution of Christians in places like Syria before the rapes, the murders, the beheadings, etc. And I want to set aside the constitutional arguments for the time being. That's probably a good topic for another show. But let me ask you this: In your opinion, is there anything wrong with taking in Christians from the Middle East? I mean, it seems as though they're the ones in most need of refuge, right?
2: Yeah. Well, it's funny you should ask about this, Lee, because I just wrote about this today. The article is going to be published at the Observer tomorrow morning. This very thing, how Christians the New York Observer, by
1: the way, go go tune into his articles.
2: Yeah how Christianity is now being wiped out in the Middle East, and this just could be the last chapter of a very old story, because it used to be the Middle East's dominant religion. It was the dominant religion in North Africa as well. Then you had the birth of Islam in 622, and the Islamic armies back then conquered all the old Christian lands. Well, anyway, let's get back to today today. Now we see that Christians in Syria and Iraq are being wiped out. You know, they're being removed from their historic lands. And, of course, if they're subject to extermination, we should try to help them in some way. But as I said earlier in the program, you have to understand what the spirit of being a refugee is. You try to establish refugee camps as close to their native lands as possible, and hopefully one day maybe you can repatriate them back to their native lands. If you can't, then maybe you do need to resettle them in the West somewhere if they would be wiped out otherwise. I suppose it would be a great thing if we had a Christian state in the Middle East, Lee, as we have a Jewish state in Israel. But of course, I don't know how you'd possibly pull that off. Mm. But yeah, of course, if people could be exterminated, you do have to rise to the occasion.
1: Well, and the prob- but the problem I have, Selwyn, and I feel for everyone, Muslim, Christian alike, uh, that's being persecuted in the middle east that's being tortured murdered whatever but with this concept of takia we don't know if somebody says they're a christian whether they are or not and whether or not they they represent a threat to us or do you disagree with that
2: no i agree with you and that is a huge problem now i could say something really politically incorrect here like you could force these muslims to eat a blt if they want to gain entry to the united states or Maybe a pork sausage, that could prove it, but no one's going to do that, of course, so mm. it is a problem. You're right.
1: Okay, let's talk about violence for just a minute. And, and the first, first someone, I, I've heard the term jihad. I've heard that defined in many different ways, but let us know how you define it. What, in your opinion, is jihad?
2: Well, I think that the true definition is a struggle or a fight against the enemies of Islam, and like you, I've heard other definitions, and it probably does have other definitions. You know, one of the other ones is that it could be a struggle within yourself against sin, and who knows, that might be true, but there's no doubt that it also does apply to fighting against the enemies of Islam. Now, one of the problems with this is how do you define enemies of Islam? I suppose if someone wanted to defend the jihadists, he would say, well, no, no, an enemy of Islam is just when you have some major declared war. But the truth is, I don't really think that that's necessary. I think the enemy of Islam, at least according to these jihadists, is anyone who has not embraced Islam. Okay.
1: Well, on that note, I think we're going to have to go to break. Uh, But ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the mainstream media's... Treatment of radical Islamic violence. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lee Dreyer, and you've been listening to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio
3: 1510
1: WLAC. Welcome back to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host, Lee Dreyer, and this morning we're talking about the attempted conquest of the West by radical Islam. And, ladies and gentlemen, before we get back to the show, I'd like to once again mention that this program is the exclusive production of the Conservative Law and Politics Media Group, who is solely responsible for its content. The assertions and opinions expressed in the show are those of the participants and not those of WLAC or iHeartMedia. So, Selwyn, when we left, we were talking a little bit about jihadism. And I've heard you say that the mainstream media in the West has quote-unquote, whitewashed the violence of radical jihadists. Could you give us some examples of that?
2: Yeah, I certainly could because there are so many. For instance, in 2009, we had that incident at Fort Hood where the U.S. Army psychiatrist turned jihadi Nadal Hassan killed 13 people. Well, the government labeled that workplace violence, and the media, of course, went along with that. They were very content to do so. Then we had the deadly mass shooting at Fort Lauderdale Airport on January 6th of this year by someone named Esteban Santiago. Now, of course, that doesn't sound like a Muslim name, but we understand that he took on the Muslim name Ashik Hamad and also took some kind of Islamic pledge. But not surprisingly, the mainstream media was wholly uninterested in examining that aspect of the story. Then you have the 2015 San Bernardino shooting. MSNBC initially tried to pin it on pro-lifers, saying, well, there's a pro-life institution only blocks away. And then, of course, go to Europe. Take France. Every time you have rioting by Muslims there, they never want to actually report that the perpetrators are Muslim. They just call them youths. That's the term that they use. I guess it's like in My Cousin Vinny. It just
1: youths, the youths, the the three youths, the two youths. Yeah.
2: You know, it's funny. I always say, well, if they don't want to impugn Muslims by calling them Muslims, which is what they are, I mean, that's good reportage. You provide people with the facts. Then, why are they putting the onus on youths, on young people? Why not just identify them as sentient bipeds? Sentient bipeds occupying the planet Earth.
1: Now, that's a term I don't think I've ever heard before. What did you say, Ascension bipeds?
2: Sentient bipeds. A biped is a biped. Being that two, walks feet. On two feet. Two feet. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. Well, that's the first time I've like ever heard that term. See, that's what I like damn. about talking to you or reading your stuff. I, I, my vocabulary gets expanded. My goodness, I feel smarter all the time just reading your stuff. Anyway, all right, well, let's talk about that. now. <clears throat> and we talked earlier about how the people in the Muslim community were actually warning us. Why do you think members of the media and and I guess the establishment and the political class turn a deaf ear to the, to the warnings that we're obviously getting?
2: Is an amazing phenomenon, isn't it, Lee? Because you take that interview with Dr. Mudar Zahran, part of which she played earlier. I mean, everyone in the country should see that. That is so informative, and every media outlet should have wanted to replay it. But again, they were wholly uninterested. And again, this is because of political correctness. The mainstream media is primarily left wing, they're peddling a left wing agenda. That includes promoting things like multiculturalism, internationalism, what I call immigrationism. That's a coin that I might have termed. That's the belief that immigration is always good, always is necessary, and should be the one constant in an ever-changing universe of policy. And, of course, again, like we said before, there's the voting aspect of this. They don't want immigration to be halted because they're importing their voters.
1: Mm, Yeah, there you go. Now, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you can't find that interview, as Selwyn mentioned, it's an incredibly important one for everyone to see, uh, and you can't find it, please go to my website, www.leadryerlaw.com, hit the Contact Us button, send me an email, and I promise you I'll send you the link. And if you have anything else you want to see of Selwyn's, please let me know. I'll send you that link as well. Um, Now, Selwyn, let's go back to what I thought was just staggering. Something I read that you had written, you you wrote that uh, since the nine eleven attacks, the U.S. has permitted more people to immigrate from the Middle East than in the rest of American history combined. Uh, so as a country, Selwyn, why would we ever do that, given the fact that some of those people, due to ideology, represent a threat to us?
2: Yeah. We just have gone insane again with this political correctness. I mean, you look all over the West. The same thing happened in Britain during this period. The floodgates of immigration have just been opened. And we know that Andrew Nether, who was an aide to Tony Blair, the ex-Prime Minister of Britain, actually admitted in 2009 that this mass third-world migration was all orchestrated – for the purposes of rendering the arguments of the right out of date, for the purposes of rubbing their nose in diversity, in other words, again, for the purposes of gaining power by the left. Hmm. But, yeah, everything now is done in a topsy-turvy manner. I mean, we should have halted that immigration, especially since we cannot vet these folks. Instead, we do just the opposite, because left-wingers want power, because we're married to immigrationism, Because we're married to multiculturalism, there are also people out there who think, oh, well, we just have to be nicer, nicer, then these jihadis won't do this anymore. So let's show them that we're good people. Let's open ourselves up. Let's show them that we have open arms, that we're generous, as if that's going to work. It's just pie-in-the-sky nonsense, and that's one of the better intentions behind it. Like I said, the things I mentioned earlier have to do with the malevolent intentions behind it. Mm,
1: My Goodness, I just don't understand it. Particularly the whole diversity argument: diversity equals division. If you want a divided society rather than a melting pot, a united society, keep trumpeting diversity. That's what always got me. Yeah. Now, again, that's not to say that 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 we shouldn't have different races and 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 different ethnicities, but we all need to come together as Americans. We've talked, you and I've talked a lot about the concept of balkanization. And, and how it just won't work unless you have a very authoritative state. I, I just don't want to see that happen here, any, at least any more than it has. Now, Selwyn, yeah. you've also written that these sort of policies with regard to um, immigration of, of so-called refugees from the Middle East, and some of them are legitimate refugees, you, you've equated that with playing Russian roulette with the lives of American citizens. Tell us why you said that.
2: Yeah. Well, we have to remember that, again, since we cannot vet these people, we cannot know who they really are, we don't know that ISIS terrorists are not sneaking in with legitimate refugees. In fact, we know that some have done so. Dr. Moudard Zahran said himself that he knew of terrorists that had come into Europe. He actually had pictures of them. That was the claim he made. But we have to remember, Also, that when you're talking about the younger generations, let's say second-generation Muslims in Europe, I'm using Europe as an example now, studies have shown that they actually are more radicalized than the first generation of Muslims, than their parents, their elders. They're more likely to become jihadist-oriented. This could be due to the Internet, because now on the Internet they can have exposure to radical imams and part of the Islamic canon, the Hadith and the Sirah, not just the Koran that normally they wouldn't have exposure to. But the bottom line is, is that that's the reality. Now, what does this mean? What this means is that if we take in one million of these folks over the course of time and just one-tenth of one percent are or will become violent jihadis, that amounts to 1,000 more terrorists in our midst. Now, understand, in San Bernardino, it only took two terrorists to wreak the carnage there. Just imagine what 1,000 could do.
1: Well, we're almost out of time, but let me take this opportunity to thank this week's guest, journalist and political commentator, Selwyn Duke. And lest I forget, he's now a contributing writer for the New York Observer. There are certainly a number of places to find Selwyn's work, but that's a new one that you may want to check out. And speaking of checking things out, my producer, Mr. R.J. Hunter, hosts his very own show, the Surround Sound Podcast. And I hope that all of you will check it out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a show that I was um, very reluctant to do. Originally, I thought the issues involved were way too complicated to discuss on a one-hour program in any sort of a meaningful way. But the more I looked at it, the simpler the subject became, uh, for me anyway. Now, there are certainly plenty of good Muslims in the world, and the show was not meant to attack their faith. You see, the problem is not a particular religion The real issue is a political ideology that's bent on the destruction of our way of life. So to put this in context, let's imagine just for a second that this were World War II and there were German refugees trying to get into the U.S. Now, sure, some of them, even most of them, might have been legitimately seeking refuge from persecution in a war-torn country. But we still wouldn't have let them in. Why? Well, because in spite of the best vetting procedures available, some of them might have been tied to a radical ideology of the day, that being, of course, Nazism. Yes, that's right. Some of those refugees almost certainly would have been Nazis bent on our destruction. Now, I certainly feel for the people in war-torn Middle East. But as Selwyn put it, we don't want to play Russian roulette with the safety of our citizens. You see, in the Middle East, it's an open secret that radical Islamists intend to colonize and conquer the West. And guess what? Anyone in this country with any sense knows exactly what radical Muslims are up to. So why are left-wing politicians so willing to jeopardize our safety and the safety of our children with outright suicidal immigration policies? Well, it's obvious. They're hoping for the, quote, refugees to eventually become citizens and then to get their votes in future elections. Imagine that. Politicians risking our safety to keep their jobs. Wow. Who'd have thought? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lee Dreyer, and you've been listening to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Have a great weekend.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky?